Welcome to the All Things Protest Podcast. I'm your host, Christian Curran, joined by my co-host, Olivia Lynch. And today we're going to talk about a recent proposed rule to amend the DFARS that codifies and in some ways bolsters the enhanced post-award debriefing rules that were established by the DOD March 2018 class deviation. Uh, many of you may be already familiar with this rule, but for those of you that aren't, uh, in March of 2018, the Department of Defense issued a class deviation that provided for enhanced post-award debriefing rights, certain procurements, and what those rights were is basically a, an extended debriefing process that was optional for contractors to participate in that provided contractors an additional opportunity to ask questions after they received their debriefing and to get written responses from DOD. And this new proposed rule is the next step in implementing that and making it uh, more uniform across DOD. So today we're going to talk about some of the key differences in the rule. Uh, not, not really many differences, but there are some enhancements to the enhanced debriefing rights that we're going to go over. And uh, we're also going to talk about the practical impact of what we've seen coming out of the class deviation over the last two years um, and what we may expect to see going forward. So, Olivia, can you describe the differences between class deviation and the proposed rule? Sure. So there's really two key enhancements from in the proposed rule. One is that the rule augments a DFARS clause on DOD briefings and requires that debriefings include a redacted version of the source selection decision document for all awards in excess of $100 million. The proposed rule would also augment this DFARS clause to provide the option for a small business or a non-traditional defense contractor to request a redacted version of the SSDD for contract awards between $10 million and $100 million. And then the second enhancement in the proposed rule is that it clarifies that in addition to the notice required at FAR 16505B6, a post-award debriefing is required for all task and delivery orders valued at $10 million or higher. And so those are, those are really two of the key enhancements that we've identified in the proposed rule. And, and with respect to you know, the requirement now in certain situations for redacted SSDD to be provided, Christian, can you speak to what we've seen so far under the class deviation, which didn't actually expressly require provision of such documents? Sure. And you're exactly right. I mean, the, the class deviation didn't require this, but in practice, I think we've seen a lot of DOD component agencies following it. Oftentimes, we can, we'll see redacted source selection decisions provided. In addition to some agencies are just being very open and providing, you know, the offerors full technical evaluations, redacted technical consensus documents. So it varies from component agency to component agency, but you know some folks are taking very different approaches. And I and I think the rule, the proposed rule, is really designed to try to make that a little bit more uniform, encouraging these DoD agencies to kind of get on the same page and be providing the same amount of information. So uh, hopefully this this will do that. Yeah, and, and even if the proposed rule uh, becomes final and there there is this obligation to provide a redacted SSDD in certain situations, I think we'd still recommend that successful offers request 
such documents as, as you were talking about, technical consensus evaluations and the like, because you never know you never know what, what agencies are going to be willing to produce. So next question, and just because it's such an important uh, point for us as protest lawyers, can you speak to whether there's any changes that would result from the proposed rule in when an unsuccessful offer would need to file a protest at the Government Accountability Office? Sure, and you're right, Olivia, that's a really important point. Uh, timing is always critical, as we know, with GAO protests. Very, has, GAO has very strict timing rules. And, and here, the, the proposed rule doesn't really change the process that was introduced in the class deviation, but there's, there's been some developments in case law that have made clear kind of what, what this, this timing provision means and the, and the practical import of it. And the, the, the timing provision provides that after you receive the initial debriefing, you get two business days to provide additional questions stemming from that debriefing. And if you provide such questions, the agency is supposed to respond within five days, but in any event, you're, as long as you provide those questions within two days, your debriefing stays open until you get those responses. And so your protest clock won't start to run until the time that you get the responses and the debriefing is closed, assuming that this is a required debriefing. And practically speaking, there was some confusion over well, do, do you get the additional time even though don't submit the questions? Does it run from the end of the two-day period from when you can submit the questions? And this has been the subject of a lot of questions. The, the bottom line is that if you don't submit or additional debriefing questions within two days, then you don't get to avail yourself of the tolling of the timeliness uh, rules for GAO. So to put that in a in, in different way, if you don't submit the questions, your debriefing is closed. And so your, your clock runs from the time that you actually received the initial debriefing. So if, if you want to avail yourself of this process, you have to get those questions in on time within two business days. Otherwise, your clock is running. So other than the timing issue, Olivia, what else have you seen in terms of practice here as, as we've gone on about two years now since the class deviation and as we as we look forward into the implementation of the rule. Sure. So two observations pop out to me. First is that it seems like contractors have really taken advantage of being afforded the opportunity to ask questions of these contracting agencies. And we've seen that some of the DOD agencies are starting to say, you know, you can only submit 20 or 25 questions including all subparts. <laughs> and if you have multiple questions falling under one overarching question, we're going to count those each, you know, individually against the the total that we'll respond to. And I, you know, I've definitely been involved in <laughs> post-award debriefings where um, well in excess of 20 questions have been submitted, but you know, that's one trend that we're starting to see. And another is that a lot of the DOD agencies are good about, you know, letting contractors know that if they request and receive the debriefing, they'll have the opportunity to make use of the enhanced debriefing procedures, but not all do. And so there's always kind of that question of whether, you know, a particular contracting officer is going to 
comply with the uh, class deviation. And in those situations, you know, we always recommend that folks follow up and pose the question uh, and, and just ensure that they do have the opportunity to uh, submit additional debriefing questions within that two-day period. And so, you know, once the proposed rule becomes final, I think there'll be more certainty afforded to contractors that all contract, all DOD contracting officers are going to have to comply with these enhanced debriefing procedures. So Christian, what impact have you observed the last few years? So Olivia, part of what I've seen is that the agencies that provide more information are, are really kind of doing everybody a favor, including themselves, I think. And that's for a couple reasons. One, when an agency provides more information, the contractor has a better sense for where they stood, what, if anything, they disagree with, and what maybe is a protestable issue. So certainly contractors are taking that information into informing their decisions to protest, which is what this process was really designed to do. And second, even where a contractor goes forward with a protest, I think it still benefits everyone to have the information up front because what, what happens is that you're getting to the heart of the issues earlier. Uh, without the technical evaluation or, or the source selection decision, contractors really sometimes have very limited information, um, and that doesn't stop folks from making a protest if, if they want to protest if they think something you know, has, is, is protestable. But what having the additional information does is, is allows contractors to see and decide what the issues are. It allows the agency to then be able to review those issues earlier on in the process rather than having to wait for a supplemental protest when all that information is provided normally as part of the agency report. And then it allows GAO to kind of adjudicate things more efficiently. Now, I don't know that it's resulting in any decisions coming out on an earlier basis than they would, but it just makes the entire process easier for everybody, for GAO, for the agency, for the protester, for interveners, when you get to the heart of the issues earlier. And so I hope that what we see here is, is continued transparency from, from DOD, uh, kind of embracing this, this rule so that that can continue and become more the norm and not the exception. Great observations, Christian. So the comment period on this DOD proposed rule closes July 19, 2021. We will uh, definitely keep an eye out for when DOD publishes the final rule on this and report back then. As always, uh, thanks for listening. The All Things Protest podcast is brought to you by Kroll & Mooring LLP. You can find more information at kroll.com slash allthingsprotest.